Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Gospel for today features the wrong way to approach Jesus. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus and they make a demand. Listen. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Ah, we're off to a very bad start. Jesus is the point of reference for all of reality because he is the incarnation of the Logos. Not one more spiritual teacher among many, not an ordinary human being among many, but he is the Word made flesh. Therefore, He's the one who should always be asking the questions. We start asking him questions and setting terms for him. We have gone counter to this basic truth of who he is. And when we turn the tables in this way, we start demanding things of him, give me what I want, we invite spiritual disaster. Remember the comment I've made about Martha, in the Martha and Mary story. How do we know all's not well with Martha? Well, because she tells God what to do. You know, she says, Jesus, tell her to help me. Here I am doing all the hospitality, and there's Mary sitting at your feet. You tell her to help me. Always a bad sign, may I say, when you start telling God what to do. See, Mary's in the right stance there. She's at the feet of Jesus listening to him. So, James and John are off to a bad start. But Jesus, showing great patience, inquires what this is. What do they want? Here comes the answer. Grant that in your glory we may sit, one at your right and the other at your left. Ah, there is the voice of ambition. One of the most powerful motivators in human experience there are people, you know, who don't care at all about money. They don't care at all about power. They could care less about pleasure. Oh, but they care passionately about glory. Honor, titles, position, being thought highly of. Oh, that motivates some people tremendously. James and John here, whom I always imagine as fairly young people, they want to be second and third in command when Jesus assumes his throne as the warrior king of Israel. As I've often explained, that was the standard expectation of the Messiah. He would gather the tribes of Israel. He would deal with the enemies of Israel. He'd restore the temple. He would reign like David and Solomon as a military king. And these two ambitious souls, they want in. 
How familiar this sounds, doesn't it? Even though it's 2,000 years ago in a very different culture, we can recognize the type very readily. There are many people, maybe some listening to me right now, maybe people in your circle of acquaintance, who are just like James and John. They want to go places. They want to be admired. Oh, they want a great career. They want to be a mover and shaker in society. They want to move among the wealthy and famous. They want glitz and glamour. And so they hook themselves onto rich or famous or powerful people that they might have an in. Especially people at the beginning of their careers can fall prey to this desire, to this ambition. So if you recognize yourself in James and John, listen carefully. If you know someone who's like James and John, listen carefully too that you might fill them in. Listen how Jesus turns the tables on them. He says, you do not know what you are asking. There's a delicious sense of irony that runs through the Gospels. They're asking for something, but they have no idea what it is, really. Because Jesus is indeed a king. He will indeed rule Israel. But his crown will be made of thorns. And his throne will be a Roman instrument of torture. He will indeed come into His glory, but His glory will be the glory of a love unto death. St. John knows that Christ is glorified when they raise Him up, and they raise Him up on the cross. He is glorified not in the manner of Solomon. He is glorified not in the manner of David. But His glory is the glory of God, which means self-forgetting love, yes, even unto death. And so he clarifies things for his young disciples. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? The key to glory and honor and privilege and position is to drink the cup of suffering. It's to be willing to suffer out of love, to give one's life away as a gift, it's not about aggrandizing the ego, but emptying the ego out. Oh, they're asking in some ways for the right thing. We want to reign with you. But they mean it in that Davidic, Solomonic sense of worldly authority. Glorifying the ego. He's saying, okay, okay, reign with me, fair enough. But that means drinking the cup that I'll drink. There's a story I love from the autobiographical reflections of St. Augustine, that great book, The Confessions. The story centers around an encounter that Augustine had on the streets of Milan. Augustine's on his way to a talk that the Roman emperor himself will give, a talk that Augustine had composed, and he was inordinately proud. What's the background of the story? Augustine was from a backwater, a little town in North Africa called Tagaste. A nothing town. No one in Rome or Milan or Athens would have even heard of it. He was a gifted kid, so he was sent to Carthage 
the most important city in his region. Think maybe of a, of a young kid from a little town in downstate Illinois who shows promise and is sent to Chicago for his studies. But while in Carthage, Augustine received a basic education in grammar and writing and rhetoric, and that became his chosen field. He became an expert in words and speech-making. And what Augustine wanted above all was to make it at the imperial court. If you were a rhetorician at that time, that was the highest ambition you could have, to be a writer for the emperor himself. And so, fired by this ambition, Augustine landed a job as a professor first in Rome. And then in time, he got invited to Milan, where the Roman emperor was living. And finally, he was granted the privilege of writing for the emperor himself. All of his dreams had come true. His ship had come definitively in. Everything the young boy Augustine dreamed about was now right before him. And that's what he was feeling. That's what he was thinking about as he made his way to this speech by the emperor that he himself had written. So what was the encounter? On his way to the speech, he's being born in the Roman style on a litter. He spots a pathetic figure. A man so drunk he could barely stand up, muttering to himself, wandering around, making obscene gestures. Now, if you walk through the streets of our major cities, you can find figures like this. You recognize the type. What do we do when we see them? These kind of pathetic people, drunk, out of their minds. We usually turn away in embarrassment, hoping they would just go away, just disappear. That was Augustine's instinct, too. And he compared himself to this drunken man. Here was Augustine now at the height of his career. Here was Augustine, accomplished, educated, well admired, a writer for the emperor, and this pathetic soul, drunken and muttering on the street. But then, an insight hit Augustine like a flash. You yourself are no different from this man. Why? How? This man was addicted to alcohol. So addicted, in fact, that his drinking had made him less than human. This pathetic character. But are you not, Augustine, yourself in the grip of an addiction. Aren't you addicted to ambition? You first tasted that drug when you were a young man. Oh, and you've been chasing it all your life. Day in and day out. Night in, night out. In the course of your life, you've been pursuing this great ambition. You, Augustine, he felt, have turned your life over to getting ahead. And so you are as much a slave of that addiction as this man is a slave of his addiction to alcohol. 
you being carried on a litter to hear a speech by the emperor composed by yourself are just as pathetic as this man. And then another insight came to him. If anything, I am worse off than this drunken man. Because by morning he will sober up. And Augustine, who's been drunk and ambition for years, is showing no signs of sobering up. Huh. That insight helped to change Augustine's life. That insight convinced him that he was like James and John, asking for high and mighty positions in the world, when in fact the only thing that matters is making ourselves pleasing to God. How about you? You like James and John? Some listening to me? Are you addicted to ambition? And are you showing, like Augustine, no signs of sobering up? Listen to how this gospel ends. The final answer to his two disciples, Jesus says, To sit on my right or my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Sitting at the right and left of Jesus, oh, they thought it meant sitting on thrones, judging, ruling, reigning, being admired. But sitting on the right and left of Jesus, real glory, you know what that looks like? Flash to the end of Jesus' life. When he comes in glory, he's nailed to a cross. And there are two people on his left and his right. They are the criminals crucified with him. Ah, uh, ironically, that's what he was asking for. That's what James and John were asking for. Are you ready to reign with Christ in that way? God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.